Hello and welcome to the Expanding Purpose podcast. My name is Anna Josette Herber. I interview people on this podcast who are creating, promoting, supporting things that this world really needs. Uh, in my previous two episodes, I interviewed the owner of a CBD company based in Bristol, Jonathan Higgs, and episode number two was interviewing an incredible mental health advocate and qualified therapist, Sharon Long, my mum's best friend. In this episode, I have the pleasure of interviewing a dear friend of mine, Ash Brown. She is the camp coordinator and co-founder of Ecosystem Restoration Camps, an incredible organisation buying degraded land around the world and running camps where people can go to learn how to rewild and restore it. Today I'm talking to Ash about the incredible new course that ERC is bringing out. It's a nine-month course teaching people everything they need to know to start a restoration project all of their own. This organisation is serious about getting the knowledge out there to as many people in the world as possible who are willing and able to take on a patch of earth and restore it so that we all might survive the next 100 years of climate change. I I couldn't think of a better cause right now and it's something that continues to open me up to new possibilities and uh, you know gives me a sort of place to focus on to learn more about nature and growing things and expanding my own knowledge so that I can do my own projects in the future. But for now, I learned a lot from Ash in this episode, uh, particularly about the history of our relationship with land in this country and how it's got us to the point where we are at today. So I'll leave it there. Hope you enjoy this episode and the details for this incredible course that Ash is running through Ecosystem Restoration Camps will be at the end of the episode. Enjoy. Hello, everybody. I'm here with my good friend, Ashley Brown, also known as Ash Brown. That was how I was introduced to you at Meadows in the Mountains. And yeah, I met this wonderful lady on a mountain in Bulgaria a few years ago. And since then, have learned so much about nature and rewilding and permaculture and everything to do with making our planet greener and stop destroying it so much. She works for an organization called Ecosystem Restoration Camps. I've just renewed my membership and I'm hoping that after this podcast, you might be keen to as well. We're here to talk about an amazing project that Ash has got going on and also just introduce this fabulous advocate of nature to you. So hi, Ash. How are you? Did you like your introduction? (laughs) Yes. Hi, everyone. And thank you, Anna. I did. I was smiling the whole way through, um, even though you you can't see that. But I'm telling you now that I was. Oh yeah, I'm not doing video with this podcast just yet, maybe one day. Um, But for now, um, it's great to combine our voices across remote distances and talk about this project that you're building and just everything else that you do with ecosystem restoration camps. Because every time I I tell people about your organization, they find it uh, like beacon of hope and really exciting and inspiring. I'll tell the listeners what I think it is and then you can tell them in your words. But um, as I understand it, you have dozens of camps around the world where you've bought degraded land and you uh, organize and collaborate together to restore it to natural vibrancy and grow lots of things there. Yeah, that's pretty much it. Restoration, ecosystem restoration camps are places 
around the world and we're, we're currently on 45 where everyday people can go and take part in the restoration of, of ecosystem functionality which essentially means restarting ecosystem processes that have been broken um, and discontinued by things like industrial agriculture and mining and deforestation and urbanization and these ecosystem functions are things like carbon cycling water cycling all of the things that an ecosystem does that creates the conditions for humanity to to thrive those are the functions that are often broken and are no longer working and that on the meta level is the reason why we have such disrupted weather and climate patterns now and we need these things to survive we can't survive without them and once it reaches a level where enough of them are broken then we won't we won't survive anymore so it's not a case of something that is nice to do it's it's absolutely critical for the survival of our species in the next decades yeah rewilding is no longer a nice to have it's definitely an essential activity commended by the UN as a possible way out of our situation. And it's really mm. quite incredible when you think about the fact that we're faced with this gigantic existential crisis and all we have to do to mitigate it somewhat is let nature do her thing. Yeah, she does need a helping hand though. And maybe it's a good place now to make the distinction between all of the re words. So we have a lot of re words abounded around like rewilding, restoration, regeneration, rehabilitation. And it is quite confusing to know what the difference is between them. And they are essentially all pretty much the same thing, but there are nuances. And that depends on the state of the landscape that you're trying to restore and how much of that restoration, regeneration nature can do by itself and how much of it needs to be assisted. Um, so for instance, in the UK, we work with a, uh, an organization called Embercombe and they are a rest the first restoration camp in the UK. They are doing rewilding work rather than restoration because there is enough, there is enough seed, there is enough organic matter, there, the processes haven't been disrupted to the point where if the land is left alone nothing will happen so the land is being rewilded in the sense that it's no longer being used uh, to grow food and nature is allowed to just take its course again however in a place like the south of spain that is heavily desertified there is very little organic matter around there are very few seeds that can be naturally dispersed you're not going to see that land become vibrant and healthy and biodiverse again by itself it needs the, these elements that are missing need to be brought back in and then once you get to a certain state the land can start to revegetate and regenerate itself again so that's where um, the camps come in so uh, the first one was in spain am i correct in that yeah and then so you you know have people go and stay there volunteer people can pay and go and stay there and learn about all the activities that you're up to to support the restoration of the land and yeah. um, they look like a good time as well hmm. 
It is a really good time. I went and lived at the first camp in Spain for a whole year and had the time of my life. I really loved it. Um, horseback riding across what feels like the Wild West at sunset, eating food that you've grown yourself, uh, living really in community. Um, yeah, the, the founder of the movement, John Liu, stated in the first article he ever wrote when it was just an idea that we need restoration of the earth and the human spirit um, because we've become well for a very long time in, in the UK at least we have been physically severed and fenced off from nature by the elite and we are now feeling a real desire to rekindle um, that, that connection. Um, and the camps offer people the opportunity to do that. Uh, so yeah, there is often a real feeling of, of purpose, of belonging, of hope and of inspiration within people when they go and take part in restoring ecosystems at these camps. Yeah, that sense of togetherness sounds so fun. And I also know that I have such an amazing time when I'm outdoors learning new things and doing things that are physical, mm. being with other people. It's generally just so good for you. And I loved what you said about us being fenced off from nature. And it got me thinking about the wild swim swimming movement at the moment that is really getting more rebellious by the day, by necessity. People are demanding their right to swim in bodies of water and asking for better protections and more safety and instead they're being fenced off from really what is communal property like our bodies of water i've been learning about the history of of this phenomenon recently and in the uk essentially since 1066 so over a that well just about a thousand years ago now when william the conqueror invaded he created a, a law called forest law that made it illegal for people to hunt and forage from the woodland of the UK and before that you know the woodlands had been our homes they'd been our source of food and shelter and everything and then in one fail swoop a, an invader came in and, and changed the, the law to mean that it was no longer allowed and then there was the whole enclosure act which then fenced off farmland pasture land in the same way so it very much has been a an active removal by wealthy people it's you know we should see it as that and the injustice that comes with it uh, it was stolen from us in the same way as wealthy people of of note and high worth have done the same all over the world and yeah I think it's something that we should be pretty damn angry about to be honest. When I learn about foraging and mushroom identification and generally turn myself from someone who identified as a plant killer as lots of people do in our modern society you know you go to B&Q you buy a plant and get all excited and then we are so broken that we cannot keep a plant alive, even though we have like the wealth of the internet at our fingertips. And I realized how wrong this was because 
we need plants to survive and we have like lived alongside you know this ability to like tend and care for things for millennia and i think yeah like it's like this whole plant killer thing for me is like a modern example of how we feel completely disenfranchised when it comes from like connecting to nature but luckily you know the internet is an amazing resource and i started keeping my cactus and succulents alive and i've now graduated onto my raspberry plants on the roof um but to me it's something really personally important to me like can i learn to grow things and eat from them because a it's fun and b i think that it's one of the ways that a lot of people are trying to connect better with nature on their own in this like kind of real small scale rebellion like i love the phenomenon of people growing wherever they can over the lockdowns and um i know in bristol in this high-rise flat i saw someone's uh, like vertical garden grow box that they'd put there without the landlord's consent and just hoped that they would wouldn't object to it too much because how could you object to someone growing some tomatoes next to a car park in the place where they live but that's what it's come to that people are so pressed for space and a desire to grow things and tend things and provide for themselves that they're forced to do it next to a high-rise car park yeah it's it's not that people don't care um it's that they've had opportunities consistently taken away from them um and have grown up in a culture that is very devoid of of the ability to connect yeah, it's heartening to know that it's not that people don't care. It's been a very systematic, deliberate removal from people who are very greedy and just want everything for themselves, essentially. I guess if people can't grow their own food, then that is an incredible market opportunity for mm-hmm. someone to make money from providing that food. I think... Um, with the first lockdown as well, I mean, here in the UK, we experienced food scarcity for the first time in living memory, I would say, well, other than our elders from the Second World War with rationing. But I would say for the first time since rationing, people experienced a tiny taste of what it would be like to not be able to rely on Tesco's for every item you could want to cook any meal under the sun. And I thought that was absolutely yeah. fascinating and part of this whole reignited desire to learn about plants to grow things to um connect more with nature people were getting out into natural spots more and sadly not leaving them always in the best condition mm-hmm. but i guess that's um another way and at least the desire is there even if people are a bit lost in how they respond to it so with the general state of people right now i guess it's been a funny old year in that we've emerged from a, a lockdown and suddenly, uh, you know, the newspapers are on high alert regarding climate change and flooding. And I know that for me, the like scale of coverage has definitely felt amped up. And I would say that is in direct correlation to weather events that are happening. It's got people thinking with a lot of urgency what can we do what matters and what is like a valuable thing to do with our time that is going to contribute that i think that would be a good place to talk about this course that you're bringing out 
And it's called the Ecosystem Restoration Design Course. It was born from a frustration uh, that I have felt for a long time where knowing how to restore a piece of land close to my heart is concerned and not knowing where to go or how to find a learning journey that would facilitate the, rest, this, the restoration of a piece of land that I love. So for instance, quite a lot of the rivers that I've lived by in my life are polluted um, or for instance there's a local woodland that is full of an invasive species or you have a local park near you that is just really low on biodiversity and I, I really feel strongly that thousands of people or hundreds of thousands of people being empowered to go out and restore and fix their local landscapes on a micro scale all at once is a much more effective uh, method for, for restoration than, than any other. And the, the carbon drawdown potential of that, the biodiversity boosting, water holding capacity, reversal of drought and flooding, and all of these things can be done through these extremely small scale local actions. So I thought, well, what is it that is needed here to make that happen? The only real courses that you can go out and do, or at the time, it's changing now, but say five years ago, the only courses that were really available were permaculture design courses, which last two weeks um, and are very theoretical, or some sort of like ecology, sustainability, conservation degree. One felt too short, the others felt too long. Um, so I noticed that there was a real gap there. I started thinking about this course and it's developed into a nine month learning journey where you need five to 10 hours a week free to do it. Um, and you go through five modules. The first module looks at the restoration of natural ecosystems and there are four lessons within it. The first is how to restore a temperate forest with an example from a guy called Alan Watson Featherstone in Scotland, who has been restoring the Caledonian forest in Scotland for decades now. So you'll learn directly from him as to how, how he's done this restoration work. And those learnings and lessons are applicable to other temperate forests. The second lesson is, follows the same format, but it's about tropical forests, with an example from India. The third lesson looks at an introduction to deserts and why deserts are the way they are, what causes desertification, what's the difference between a man-made de desert and a natural desert, and what are some of the techniques you can use to restore deserts, man-made ones. Um, and then the fourth lesson in the first module looks at coral reefs and the different methods for restoring coral reefs. The second module is all about agricultural land. So what are the agricultural restoration techniques that you can use? Looking at something called holistic grazing, which is the more natural movement of, of cattle herds, uh, permaculture, seaweed farming, and agroforestry. 
The third module looks at urban landscapes. So four different examples of how to restore land in an urban area, such as um, property development for restoration, urban farming, rewilding and restoring urban waterways like canals. Um, and the fourth module is all about business models. So what it gives you examples of different businesses that exist um, that are making money and restoring landscapes at the same time. And you also learn about a business model creation technique using something called a business model canvas, which is essentially like a map business planning process. And then the final module looks at how to create a restoration design, a plan and a budget and a business plan. So you, you let, take all your learnings from the first four modules. In module five, you get into a group. And then as a group, you design a plan for how to restore a piece of land, including a business plan. Um, and so far, as a result of the, of the last two rounds of courses, we have worked with a total of around 300, 330 students in two rounds and 58 restoration projects have been initiated as a result of the course so far. We started in April 2020. So yeah, I'm really proud of what we've achieved together and we're starting the next round of the course on September the 20th. So if this sounds like the sort of thing that you've been looking for, then fantastic. We would love to, to welcome you. Wow, that is really quite something, Ash. I did not know that 58 uh, in restoration projects have been initiated after this course. It's really something. I guess it just shows that, you know, people are just waiting to access the right knowledge, right? You know, and it sounded really comprehensive, like the different modules and the business plan part of it as well, because, uh, you know, implementation and building a project and collaborating with people is often the hardest place and I feel that a lot of people want to do more about the environment but they don't know where to start you know it's that where to start piece that often feels so overwhelming um like where do you even begin so I guess learning is a great place to begin and like you know we, me with my potted plants and my foraging like learning has been really essential for me to connect more with nature and understand more about how it works and just realize how much knowledge I grew up without. You know, I cannot believe that I went through biology classes in, um, you know, a, a UK school without learning about how trees produce things. I know, you know, it's like the, the practical knowledge is missing from our society and people need a place where they can go and learn it. And what better practical knowledge to learn than how to restore land and nature and something we really need. There's a project going on in Sheffield that's really inspiring me right now. Um, it's like a community group uh, run by the Kellam Island Community Alliance. And they are petitioning hard to build a trail that goes all the way along the River Don, right from the center of Sheffield and Kellam Island to the Peak District. They're lobbying with a lot of private landowners to be allowed to build this pathway that goes all the way along and doing more of the amazing 
wildlife supporting projects that they've done along the five weirs walk that goes out towards Rotherham, but it's going to connect the whole thing up. And I know from your time living in Sheffield, you know, you witnessed how much good urban greenery and urban gardening and like sort of environmental planning there is going on here. Um, so yeah, it's just nice to see these things being integrated more, I guess, because the public are demanding it. I would say there's yeah. more, there's more will for these things. Uh, so the course is launching again on September 20th. How many people roughly take part in it at a time usually? The first round, which was from, started in April 2020, had 145 people. And then the second round had 186. I think that the fact that a lot of people were locked in their homes increased the popularity of online courses and now that COVID is freeing up a little bit in terms of people's freedom um, we're not expecting the numbers to be as high this time around but we're still hoping for a decent number yeah fingers crossed <laughs> as, as I said I think there are a lot of people seeking to expand their knowledge and to start projects and be more yeah. active in their communities so I think that hopefully uh, you'll have something like the same numbers, which would be impressive since you don't have a captive audience quite as much. Yeah, that would be great. But I mean, even with a hundred people or I don't care if 10 people do it, I'll still be delighted that those 10 people are um, going to go through a process that gives them so much more confidence to be able to go and restore pieces of land around the world. I think actually what, we'll see more and more of as COVID hopefully becomes less of an issue is the desire for in-person workshops too. So those will become more regular and, and offered at restoration camps themselves in the future for people who are able to travel to one. So we'll have both online and in-person opportunities for people to learn how to restore land. And go away and start their own projects, which is pretty exciting. Yeah. I can only imagine how rewarding it would feel to see somewhere you've tended and supported come back to life. Yeah, it's really remarkable how quickly life finds its way back. We built a series of ponds that, when it rained heavily, would create a wetland area um, at the camp in Spain. And there wasn't, there weren't other water sources like it for, I don't know, maybe 50 to 100 miles. And within six months, the ponds were full of dragonfly larvae, of frog spawn. Um, you'd see wild boar footprints around the ponds. And yeah, it's amazing how quickly life picks up the signal that there is food and water and habitat available for them again and it can be done by anyone anywhere like you were saying with the person growing tomatoes outside their house there's a very inspiring movement that i really love which is called we are the ark and it was started by an, an irish woman called mary reynolds and mary used to be a landscape designer like a landscape gardener um, and she now 
runs this movement and ARC stands for Acts of Restorative Kindness. Um, and she's encouraging everyone to essentially give their garden back to nature. And she has all of these kind of uh, online resources for how, how to best do that. And there are thousands of them now all over the world. As, as things seem to be getting more dire climate-wise, there is also a real optimism that comes from knowing how many restoration projects are emerging. Just today, before I came to speak to you, I was talking to a man from Malaysia who is working with local people who converted their rainforest land into palm oil plantations that are now converting them back. And he has 7,000 people in his network. And the, this is the sort of news that I have the pleasure of hearing on an almost daily basis. So if you're out there and you're despairing, you only really tend to hear the bad news, but there is also a lot of good news getting involved in ecosystem restoration camps. We, we created this movement to give everyday people who didn't know what to do about their climate distress an opportunity to physically put their hands in the earth and take part in fixing our, our world. And now that there are so many camps around the world, there's this online course, if you can't travel, there's never been more opportunity for people to get involved in this great think, work of our but yeah, time. Fe feeling like you're not doing enough is a really horrible sensation, you know, and uh, for years I sort of struggled with understanding or figuring out what to do with that because they never felt like there could be enough. You know, it felt like, uh, how can an individual solve climate change? And the answer is that is absolutely ridiculous and it's never going to happen that way, but we are a collective species and we, share collective responsibility over the earth and also when we work together we multiply our energies and ideas and incredible inspiring things happen you know these uh, all of the great achievements um uh, that are happening in the climate change movement are yeah like done by groups of people often although i did read about this um this farmer, I was reading Farmers Weekly in preparation for our interview, you might be unsurprised to hear, which is actually a really surprisingly fascinating and positive publication. They re they've really come out in favour of regenerative farming and are tracking and supporting farmers to make moves away from industrial intensive farming that I really only learned about in detail recently how much it degrades the land like to the point where it's unusable afterwards right um i read about this guy who um has figured out a way to regeneratively produce beef to the point where his farm's activities are putting more carbon in the ground than they're releasing and i think that's something really interesting you know the idea that you can have like a net carbon neutral beef farm mm -hmm. yeah 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 it's i'm glad that it's catching on now and that the mainstream uh, agriculture world is also talking about this because five years ago i went to the oxford real farming conference 
where all of these things were being discussed. And then there was still a parallel conference called the Oxford Farming Conference, which to be fair was the original one. Um, and those two things were very separate and quite opposing to one another. But, and industrial agriculture is reaching its death door because you, if you keep taking life out of the land without putting any back, it's going to run out, you know? It's going to run out and it's going to die and then you can't do anything else. So the, your only option is to regenerate it if you want to carry on producing food. I think that's the problem with a lot of the existing way that we do things, though, is that it's not long term thinking in the slightest. And that's why we are in such a pickle. And it's also, you know, it's not good for long term profit or value ongoing anyway. You know, if you have a piece of land and you just blast it with fertilizers and um, to make things grow when they're not really <laughs> in the mood to and then um you know like overproduce and rinse the land for all it's worth and then you end up with a degraded piece of land with no nutrients left in the soil it's bad for your business i think i read that a lot of farmers are feeling this remorse as they're coming to the end of their years and are now approaching regenerative consultants to try and do some turnaround work and like putting nutrients back into the soil getting more uh, biological life back in there and i also read that it's seen as you know the current system relies on chemistry like on fertilizers and uh, pesticides and all of that stuff but the new model relies on biology like the life that's in the soil and working with nature yeah. but you have to, and you hear stories about you know and read uh, the evidence of like the better yields that they're getting in the healthier animals, healthier crops. And you'd wonder why it hasn't caught on before now, but I guess it's like a complete paradigm shift, isn't it? I don't think that the education that farmers received when they were studying was biology based though. There was a real move after the second world war to use all of these chemicals and therefore they chemical companies had partnerships with universities and were most likely involved in the curriculum creation even so people have just been led down a path that has been very strategically chosen to be that way regenerative agriculture doesn't have as as straightforward a business case as industrial agriculture does so it's you know, being a farming input chemical salesman, it's very clear and easy how to make money from that. Whereas it's not so straightforward where regenerative farming's concerned and therefore you can't go around to a farmer and say, all you need to do is buy X, Y, and Z and your problem will be solved. Um, it's a lot more complex than that. And there aren't actually that many regenerative uh, land advisors. There's a, there's a piece there that's needed as well to train them, which is something that I've discussed creating in the past with a consortium of different people, including uh, Rewilding Britain, the University of Exeter. That we haven't, haven't got there yet, but it's, it's in our minds. It seems that with more projects happening, more pressure to do something and to change the way that we are doing things, that it seems like there is an increasing 
avalanche of positive projects happening of people doing things and um yeah that's what strikes me about all of these like good stories like you know the dairy farmers that change how their land is used and uh people who join together and do like urban gardening community projects is that it starts with an idea you know that wave of enthusiasm and then it's people joining together and making it happen and i guess that's what your course is facilitating as well yeah everyone's just looking to be led <laughs> in a way we've all got a lot going on you know being a human being is exhausting and we've, we all are trying to you know like get through our days and provide for ourselves and and try and enjoy our time on this earth while we can as well so i think yeah. that like but at the same time so many of us do feel this like gnawing constant underlying existential dread that is only right and normal when like I've, we've spent most of our adult life with the awareness this like growing awareness right that things are not right and that the things are not sustainable and that like our healthy happy future is not guaranteed which is yeah. a massive thing to grow up with and then for it to constantly be building like this kind of you know slow cooker pressure type scenario so it's um exhausting you know to live with that feeling for years and years and years and what encourages me is projects that make being more active and doing something feel like a lot of fun mm. and that you know there's a there's the there's the benefits that come with getting involved it's uh you know connecting with people who share a purpose and learning something new and feeling like more well-rounded as a person i would say like you know connecting with nature is that missing piece of which is a part of us like you know the way that we've evolved and the way that our ancestors lived yeah we we were on a roll of sorts before covid with putting on ecosystem restoration festivals and parties that were very popular and they are happening in lots of different parts of the world as well there's a place called there's an organization called green pop in south africa that have been doing restoration like reforestation festivals for 10 years um and they are extremely fun as well so fingers crossed we'll be able to do some more of those in the future Yes, I hope you will be able to as well because I would really like to come to one. So I'm going to wrap us up soon and just say, so say if you're, um, you know, speaking directly to someone who is um, thinking about expanding their knowledge of nature and is, or someone who maybe has their eyes on a piece of land, right? As the, in their mind's eyes, they're listening to this and they're thinking like, that is the bit I want to do. Can I pull it off? I think that that's a worry for a lot of people when they're about to begin a project, you know, the self doubt and it, that's the kind of thing that we need to support people to push past. The, the camps movement was created for people, for those very people. So there are different ways that you can strengthen your belief and your belief in yourself that you can do it. And that comes from building experiences and, and contacts and connections and that can be done through going to the various restoration camps around the world, through taking any of the courses that we run both online and at the camps, 
we're in the process of finishing off um, the beta version of a knowledge exchange platform that is free for anyone to use that has all of the, the internet's best resources in the topics of soil restoration, reforestation, all of the, all of the elements involved in this world um, that anyone can access for free. Um, yeah, I think those are some pretty solid ways that people can go from, I want to help, but I don't know what to do, to the point where they feel empowered enough to, to physically do it. And I know of several individuals who have got, been on that journey themselves and are now doing their own restoration work as a result. So it does, it does work, which is nice to see. Yeah, and you've got a whole model on making it a sustainable business as well, like something that could actually perhaps be mm -hmm. viable financially for someone. Um, yeah. are, is it, does the course cover restoration of land that's, say, public, public land? Yeah, it does. One of the lessons which is based in a city is about taking public land in a city and creating a tiny forest on it. And that teacher talks about how he created agreements with local government ministers, etc., to to get access to that land. Yeah, so it is covered, yeah. That is so adorable, a gorilla tiny forest in an urban setting. <laughs> it's a movement in itself, the tiny forests movement. There's hundreds of them recommend checking them out they're really they are really sweet they're like some of them are like 10 square meters um little pop-up forests pop-up forests that is the nature movement of our time that is waiting to happen <laughs> um i know exactly what i'm going to go and do after this podcast and that's going google tiny forests but um yeah yeah it, ash it's been amazing to have you on this podcast and talk with you about this course and I'm really actually blown away that these projects have happened and that so many people have taken part already. And it's something that you're going to run again and again to get this knowledge out there. It's very exciting. Yeah. It's very exciting. So if people want to take part, where should they go? So the, the course is run in collaboration between us, Ecosystem Restoration Camps and an organization called Gaia Education. So if you just go on either of our websites, then you'll easily find the right place to, to sign up. I will put a link in the show notes. Thank you so much for the opportunity to talk to your followers, Anna, and to have a little catch up with you. Looking forward to um, seeing you in a couple of weekends time. Yes. Thank you so much, Ash. I'll speak to you soon. Bye. Bye. Thank you so much for listening to this episode with me and Ash Brown from Ecosystem Restoration Camps. If you are interested by this course, if you've got your eye on that piece of land or you would like to learn how to restore all of the different types of land that were discussed in the podcast, I'd highly recommend heading to ecosystemrestorationcamps.org and heading to their online courses page. You actually get quite a considerable discount if you're a monthly member, which I am for 10 euros a month. You can also do more and you can do less, whatever is comfortable for you. Um, yeah, I'd really recommend it. It feels great to be contributing to organizations with even a little bit of money a month 
that are actively doing something to draw down carbon and educate people to look after nature, as well as giving yourself those opportunities to go and get your hands in some dirt and hang out with people as well. So whatever you are doing, you know, in this global transition towards looking after our environment better, whether that's planting things for pollinators or learning how to compost or taking your bags to the store, just know that I appreciate you and we're all just doing our best aren't we and trying to get through it together so thanks for listening um as always really appreciate the comments and when i meet up with people i haven't seen in a while and it turns out they've been listening so just know that your support means a lot to me and it means a lot to the people i interview as well because these are individuals who are devoting their lives to helping and contributing in some way and it was a pleasure to formally interview Ash about this incredible course that um, will hopefully support hundreds if not thousands more people over the next few years to start a restoration project on their own. How cool is that? Thanks for tuning in and I'll see you again for some future episodes coming very soon. (laughs) 